The sponsor for the Shepherd's Crook podcast for the month of March is Buck Knives. Every hunter knows that it's not about the success, it's about the pursuit. The Pursuit series of fixed blade and folding knives by Buck has you covered. Proudly made in the USA, the Pursuit series is available in two sizes, large and small with or without the gut hook. The non-slip handle will keep your knife comfortably in hand while you process your harvest. Gear up for the season at BuckKnives.com. While you're there, use the promo code BUCK20 at the checkout and save an extra 20%. This offer is only for a limited time and it expires June 1st of 2020 and it's valid only at BuckKnives.com. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. This is episode 83. Today, I'm going to talk to you about 90s men's ministry. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace, your mercy that's upon us right now. It's Monday. There's a lot of pastors that struggle on Monday or even take Monday off. So I just pray that you would encourage the discouraged pastor right now. If there's anybody that's struggling from their sermon yesterday, I pray that you'd bring grace and remind them that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's not just for our people. That's for us. And so I thank you for your favor that's upon us right now. Help me as I talk about men's ministry. I want to be generous with the men that have gone before me and before us and uh, a lot of these listeners have been through promise keepers and and done a lot of the things that happened in the 90s and we're really thankful for it so god i'm thankful for what you did in the 90s help me to be faithful as i kind of give a historical sketch and talk about the positives and negatives of of 1990s men's ministry i trust you're going to in jesus name amen okay i think it's important for pastors especially younger guys who maybe remember some things that went on in previous decades and even a previous era in church history, a a pretty recent era in church history. And even if you're not familiar with it at all, I mean, it's good to familiarize yourself with this. And there was a real move of God, I think, a real move of God in the 90s that was pretty hard to explain other than God was just doing a, a unique work. And so the way I want to break this down for you is I want to give you a history of 90s men's ministry, and then I want to give you a few things that we can learn from what was happening and from those men that are really good and helpful, not just takeaways, but things that we really can emulate and put into practice. And then I want to look at the errors of what was happening in that decade. And so first, let's start with the history of 90s men's ministry. And I want to book in this starting really back in the late 80s, to the early 2000s. So we're going to look from all the way back to Steve Farrar, Promise Keepers, like the early years of Promise Keepers, and then all the way through Focus on the Family, James Dobson, and then ending it with John Eldridge, who wrote his book, Wild at Heart, in 2001, I believe it was released. So it covers a little bit more than a decade, but I think it's it's important to look back and remember some of these things. Because for, for younger guys, guys in their 30s and even into their 40s, there's memories of promise keepers or, or certain things that, that I'm going to talk about. And we kind of look back and mock that a little bit, unfortunately. I think there's there's a tendency for guys in their even 20s and 30s to make fun of what happened in the 90s. And I think that is a serious error. We really need to look at it 
and thank God for it and learn from it and never just look back and say, oh, look how goofy that was. They got Those guys were doing golf seminars at men's conferences. Look how silly. They should have been doing exposition. Yeah, that's true. But we shouldn't look, look back with disdain. We should look back and want to know what God did and learn. So here we go, the history. In 1991, Steve Farrar wrote a book called Point Man. And Point Man was a really interesting time in history, and it really gathered, it really captured the hearts of men throughout this country. And it just went off like wildfire. And it was happening at the same time that Promise Keepers was beginning to blow up. Promise Keepers was started, I think it started in 1989 by Bill McCartney, who is the coach of the Colorado University football team. And he had this passion for men's ministry and wanted men to be promise keepers. And so start he started this ministry and launched it, and it was launched with like a group of 3,000 men. And then by three years later, it was like 80,000 men. It was unreal. It was like the, the sound went out or the call went out to every church in America. And the men in every church in America, it was just the right time for them to answer some sort of call and to step up and step into ministry. And this this idea of promise keeping resonated. And so you had these two books, or you had this book and now this ministry, Promise Keepers, Point Man and Promise Keepers, that were challenging men to be men in their homes, to take responsibility in their homes, to be promise keepers, and to be the leader in their homes. And it just, it exploded. And it was like the guys were finally getting something for them after decade upon decade of feminism and decade upon decade of being told to be like women or being told that men and women are the same. Finally, there was a group of guys that were saying, hey, that's ridiculous nonsense. Men need to be men. They need to be promise keepers. And so they stepped up into that and they were challenged by that and loved it. Now, you fast forward through that decade and what happens is you have this have promise keepers that had been around for a while. I mean, you'd had Focus on the Family that had been around for a while, but James Dobson's resources through Focus on the Family really captured the hearts of a lot of guys as well. And you had this decade-long run of massive men's ministries events. It was uh, the Stand in the Gap event that was like 1996 or 1997, had over a million men in Washington, D.C., praying for the nation, standing in the gap. I mean, to try to replicate this today, I mean, I don't think there's any way. We don't we don't have the resources and the, there's even the ability to be able to replicate this. I think it was a real move of God. It was a it was a time that you could do a, any kind of men's ministries event, and it would just I mean, men from all over the city, all over the region, would come and be a part of it. They were just hungry. They wanted more. They just they weren't getting what they thought they needed, and they they just needed more. And so they were flocking to men's ministry. It was a pretty amazing time. Now, I think there are several different factors of why this happened before we get into what we can learn and the errors of this. I think there are some factors that played into the the hugeness of men's ministry at that particular time. Number one was the dads of baby boomers. So by and large, this is a baby boomers movement. It was a group of guys that were just tired of, of the way things were, and they were tired of, of living compartmentalized lives. The greatest generation had to live a compartmentalized life because they went to war. The fathers of baby boomers had to experience some really terrible things. And because of that, they had these different areas of their life that were closed, that was closed off. They didn't talk about the war. They didn't talk about the things they had seen or the things that they had done. So they had their church life. They had their work life. 
and they they really struggled to say I love you. They really struggled struggled to give hugs to to be emotionally connected to their children. And although they worked hard and they did some amazing things for our country, that generation of men, the, the generation that were the fathers of the baby boomers, were really bad men in a lot of ways. They were really great men in a lot of ways, but they really struggled to be fathers. They were disconnected. So baby boomers, they had dads that gave them something more than than their dads gave them, but they were not told that they were loved. They were not cared for. They they kind of were given like a, a pat on the butt and yeah, go get them, son. That was about it. And so a lot of the my father's generation's dads, so our like millennial pastors' grandparents. Their grandpas were just really bad. My grandpa, for instance, was really the worst man I ever met. I mean, he was just terrible to my dad, terrible to my my aunts and uncles. He was horrible. And I think that was representative of a lot of the guys that were caught up in this 90s men's ministry. Their dads were just really bad dads. They just weren't there. And they were tired of compartmentalized lives. So this generation, the 90s men, the 90s man didn't want that. They wanted to keep their promises. They wanted to be faithful to their families, and they didn't want to live their church life, their work life, their sporting life. They wanted to be the men God had called them to be in all of their life. The church I grew up in was a really good example of this. Men's ministry at Community of Faith Church, where I grew up, was pretty incredible. They had started a men's canoe trip that they had been doing for about a decade, and then Promise Keepers came on the scene, and the men at our church just loved it. And they started getting into the Word. They started doing studies. They started getting together and praying and starting accountability groups and started taking leading in the home seriously. And it was a really neat thing. And then fast forward all the way to John Eldridge in 2001. And Wild at Heart kind of was on the back end of all this of all this of this decade long run of, of ministry and it kind of bookends from Steve Farrar to John Eldridge. And Wild at Heart just captured the hearts of men. Now, there were some differences that most of my listeners would have with, you know, Eldridge theology, and I want to recognize that, that there are some differences that people would have, but that book, you can't argue with its impact on the guys that read it. It was just, it was widespread, and it continues to be a bestseller today. And so this was a really interesting movement. Now, as stated already in this episode, millennial pastors look back on that time and even guys, even, you know, the not just millennial pastors, but the guys that are a little bit older than me into their 40s and early 50s and tend to just think, man, that was the cheesiest time. What in the world was going on? And I think that's ridiculous. It was an amazing thing. And we need to replicate that. Don't we need to be promise keepers? Don't we need to be men whose hearts have come fully alive? Okay, so let me, let me just give you a couple things that we can learn from that era of men's ministry. Uh, number one, promise keepers. Open up a Promise Keepers book, just buy one from Bill McCartney, or buy one of the books that they published, and read it. And you see in there a real strong desire to be men of our word. Let me ask you, is that not a good thing? Don't we need men in our churches to be men of our word? That we say what we mean and mean what we say? I think so. I think we need a group of men, we need a country of men who knows what it means to be men of our word, that keep our promises. And I think we need to challenge men to do that. I think we need to challenge men to do that. And number two, um, these men wanted to be real men, men with heart, and they wanted to hold each other accountable. I think we need real accountability, not fake accountability. We still struggle with male friendship in churches today. And because of all the crazy nonsense stuff with LGBTQ+, 
and even the fear of, oh my goodness, if, if I'm friends with another man, what, what are people going to think? Unfortunately, that kind of stuff happens today where people, you, you have to think about that and be nervous about that. Men, I think, are starved for friendship. Absolutely starved for friendship. And they're starved for accountability. We need men who will fight for other men, who will get in the face of another man and say, dude, hold fast to your promises. Stay true to what God has called you to be. Step up into this. And we need men to want to be real men, to not want to be feminine, to not want to be effeminate men. To be an effeminate man is to be sinful. We need men who step up, who know what it means to fight for their family, and knows how to change a tire on a car and teach another man to do the same, who wants to go on a canoe trip and hang out and build a fire and look at it for hours, who knows what it means to be a man's man, to go out in the woods and survive and to go in a house and take care of a family. We need some Renaissance men. And there aren't many of them. So we need some men to be real men. And that's what these guys wanted to be. They wanted to be real men. They didn't want to be, they didn't want to be women. And I think we should learn from guys like that. And number three, I think they wanted to be better men than their dad. Every generation should want to emulate what was good in the generation before and grow from what was bad from the generation before. We don't want to replicate the mistakes of our fathers and we want to emulate what was good from our fathers. These guys wanted to be better men than their dad. And I think that's very noble. I think that's honorable. They wanted to be intentional with their sons and daughters. And they wanted to take care of their wives. And they tried their hardest. They tried to give to their sons and daughters what they did not get from their dads. And men who are listening right now, pastor friends, listen, that was really good. We should want to give to our sons and daughters what we did not get from our dads. Every generation is going to have blind spots as we are. And so did our dads. We have to be honest about that. I love my father. My father's going through some things right now, some difficult things, and has a lot of blind spots. And he was not able to give to me a lot of things that I'm going to try to give to my sons. And I want to challenge you with that. Learn from these men. Look back and read some, just pick up some 90s men's ministry books. Read them and throw out the bones and eat that flesh, man. Eat the good stuff. Eat the meat. I want to finish this by talking about the errors of 90s men's ministries. In this era, and really I'm going to boil it down to one error, and the big, the big kind of blind spot was that doctrinal fidelity was looked at as dead orthodoxy. If you pick up one of these books, if you just go and you pick up Point Man, Point Man, Steve Farrar was one of the better ones, but if you just get a, a 90s book on men's ministry or even being a dad, what you'll find is chapter after chapter of story after story just chock full of stories. And the idea was that men don't care about theology. It's, it's unimportant and it's unmanly. And I think this is the glaring hole in men's ministry through the 90s is that men were not doctrinally sound. They cared about the heart and that was really good. They cared about accountability and that was really, really good. But the stories in these books were just, that was the motivation. It was just coach talk. It was, hey, do manly things, but it wasn't dive into the scriptures and let the scriptures transform your life completely. It was viewed as dead orthodoxy, and I think that was the glaring hole. If we can get past that, and, and I'm, I'm going to challenge you, if you look at 90s ministry and you only see that, you're going to miss all the good. You're going to miss all that's there that's really good. You're going to read books like Wild at Heart, and you're only going to see, you're, you're going to see, man, it could have been stronger doctrinally. And yeah, that's true, but look at all the amazing things that happened from that, and look at the really good stuff that's in there. 
Look at the really good stuff that's in Point Man. Read Point Man and see it, and it's there's really good stuff. And if we just look back and kind of put our nose up, we're gonna miss some really good and beautiful things that happen. So I want to turn your, I want to challenge you to turn your attention back to the '90s. Become a promise keeper. Be a promise keeper. Be a Point Man. Read Wild at Heart, and may your heart come alive. Be a man who's fully alive. Yeah, don't miss, don't make some of the same mistakes that they did. But look back and see what God did and want to be better men than our fathers were and want to learn from all the good things that God did in their life in that era. And I think you'd be better for it. I'll put a couple links in the show notes for some books that you can read or look at. And oh yeah, and you can even look at Promise Keepers albums. Go on Google Play or Apple Music or Amazon Prime and find some Promise Keepers music and listen to it and listen to all those men singing the praises of God. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. We want that. Anyways... I hope it's fun for you. Let's learn and be challenged from the men who have gone before us. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit theshepherdscrook.co. For care and counsel, please call, text, or email to set up a session. You can follow The Shepherd's Crook on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And please consider sharing this episode and leaving a review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you use. And let me encourage you to remember Jesus Christ.